morning. Everybody good? Praise God. Look at your neighbor and say, man, you made it. You made it through the storm. You made it through the wild winds. And man, I, my family and I, we were stuck on the highway right in the middle of, of what was happening. I honestly thought my life was over. It was one of those moments where I thought, God, I'm ready. Take me home. Because it was, it was crazy. But I'm so grateful that we made it through and we're going to continue to be praying for all of those who were affected, have been affected by it. And, um, and just continue to cover them in prayer. Hey, if you've got your Bibles this morning, would you grab them real quick? I want you to hold them up. Say, I am what his word says I am. I can do what his word says I can do. I can be what his word says I can be. And today, I will hear his word. I will receive his word because I love his word. Amen. Amen. Turn to John chapter four, if you will. John chapter four. I'm going to be teaching today or talking about and uh, just sharing with you uh, what it is to reclaim true worship. How many know that it's important for us to worship him in spirit and in truth? That's what God wants us to do. But I think through the years we have found ourselves in a position where we've kind of drifted away from what true worship really is all about because the society that we live in, it's, it's so, uh, so distorted uh, with the truth. And, um, you know, actually, if you look throughout history and over the last few decades, we've seen even in ath- athletics and in athletes, there's, there's been athletes who have tried their best to, to be successful, actually try to succeed in their, in their athleticism through maybe dishonest means. They went to extremes. Maybe they tried, uh, you know, performance drugs, some type of drug to try to enhance their, their abilities. Or maybe it was steroids. I mean, we, how many remember Jose Canseco? All right, Jose Canseco, Ben Johnson. We had Lance Armstrong. All of these people had, they tried to, to, to actually make success about what they were doing through dishonest means. And even statistically, if you look back in, through, um, if you look through uh, academics even, academically, it says this, that statistically 64% of public high school students admit to serious test cheating. 58% say that they have plagiarized. And 95% of students admit to some type of form of cheating. And what that tells me is that, that there's been this facade that we've tried to live by. We've tried to live by something that's not honest and not truthful. And even today, if you sadly... Instagram, Facebook, all these filters that we live by, we want to have to try to put up some type of facade before we actually show them, show people who we really are. How many know what I'm talking about? We try to put up this facade, this filter. We can't even post a post without first trying to make sure that we look good for everybody else. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We want to make sure that everybody sees what we're really not really about. It's not really an honest post that we're posting. And what we're looking at, what we're actually looking into in other people's lives is not really who they are. It's, it's a fake thing. And, and what's happened is that's kind of drifted into our society in every part of our life. But here's what Jesus told the Pharisees. He said this in Matthew 15, 8. He said, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. In other words, they were throwing up a filter of some type of facade to say, hey, this is what worship is really all about. But truthfully, their hearts are not there. They were not being honest. They were not being truthful. They were not being real and authentic with their worship. 
And so Jesus was actually addressing that situation. And it's sad that we have, we have become this way in our worship. In the church, it's become this, this fake thing, this facade. This, it's not real. And, and what I want us to do, how many know that we need to get back to the basics of what worship is really about? Back to the truth of it, the authenticity of it. This is why we exist. And I'm going to get on that in just a minute. But in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, all of you are very familiar with this passage of Scripture. But I'm going to try to dissect it a little bit more so that you understand it a little better. But in John chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. I'm going to read 24 verses, so hold, buckle your seatbelt. Don't fall asleep on me, all right? Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back one more, once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Look at your neighbor and say, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, Are you a Jew? And I, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me? For a drink, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You are, are you greater than the father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go Call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you said you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. You have, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then he said this, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation. And he's talking about himself right here. We worship what we do not. You worship what you don't know, but we Jews worship what we do know. And salvation comes through the Jews. He's talking about himself. Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks after. You see, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that as we dive into this passage today, as we dig deeper into the word of God, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Because you're the one who makes the word come alive to us. We believe that the word is alive today. 
And I pray, Father, that new revelations would come to all of us as we read into this word and as we dig deeper. Because, God, we want to bring to you a, a holy and acceptable sacrifice of worship that is true and authentic and real. God, we want to reclaim what the enemy has tend to try to steal in the church today. We want to reclaim true worship in the church and in our lives today. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, as we dig deep today, you are welcome to shine a light on the truth. May, may it become real to us today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why? Why do we do this? Why do we worship God? Why do we come to church each and every week and worship? Is it because you were raised in the church and your mom and dad said, hey, you got to get in the car. We're going to church today. We're going to worship. And that's why you worship. Or maybe it's ritualistic. Maybe it's something that you just done over and over again and you found yourself in the church pew worshiping God because it's just what we do, right, as Christians. Maybe it's because you worship the Lord out of it's a need-based worship, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but Maybe you're trying to get something from God, and you're, you're thinking, if I just continue to bring my need to the Lord, he's going to continue to give me something. Is that what it is? Is it, why do we really worship God, or is it really this reason? Do we bring honor and glory to Jesus? Do we want to come and bring honor and glory and show him worthiness, show him he's worthy? Is that why we come? Do we come because he deserves it? Do we come and honestly worship God because our hearts are passionately desiring to give him glory and honor that he deserves? For many of us growing up in the church, we experienced different styles of worship, right? A lot of us were brought up differently in different, different atmospheres and different denominations and different styles of worship. And a lot of times the styles of worship that we began to sing was really associated with the day and time that we lived in. If you go back into the 80s, this, the sound that was coming out in the 80s or the, the sound that was coming out in the 90s, it kind of reflected the culture in which we lived in at the time. And we do the same today. But I don't know about you, but something has changed. It's not just been, it's something's changed in the sound. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Something's shifted, and it's, it's, it bothers me because it's, worship has a tendency in, in the latter days to have become centered around self rather than centered around God. It's been about you and not about him. Listen, worship has never been about you. It's always been about Jesus. Worship today has some, for some reason, has become self-indulgent rather than denying self. I'm going to say that again. Why has worship become self-indulgent rather than denying self? Jesus said, if you want to come to me, you have to do this. What? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. That's what that's what it means to follow Jesus. That what it, that's what it really means to worship God. That's the reason we exist today is to bring honor and glory to him. And it's not about us. It's about denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Jesus. But why is it that we have turned it into about us and about ourselves? You see, the reason we exist is to worship God, but it's also to bring him pleasure. Our life should be about bringing God pleasure. We were created for his pleasure. We were created to bring him joy. We were created to bring a smile to his face. So my questions to you today is, how do we bring him pleasure in our worship? How do we bring him pleasure? It's not just about singing a song on a Sunday, but with our life. How do we bring him pleasure? We do it first through honor. 
And somehow in our society, we have drifted away from what true honor is about. Honor is about valuing someone. It's about placing value on. When you honor and place value on something, when you value something, what do you do? You protect it. You guard it. You make sure that it's, it's, it's in the, the highest place of, of, of your attention. It's, it's one of those things that's on their priority list. It's the most important thing. When I value something, that's going to be the most important thing on my priority list. And when I honor God and value him, I'm bringing him to the forefront in my life and I'm keeping him at the first and most important thing in my life. You know, what I love about what Moses said is that he said, listen, I, I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. In Exodus 33, he said, listen, I, 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 don't take us up from here if you don't go with us. In other words, I value the presence of God more than anything else. I value his presence in my life and in those around me more so than I do a promise. Because the truth of the matter is the promise is his presence. He came to earth to rescue us from sin. His presence is what we're longing for. His presence is truly the promise. So when we value his presence and we make that the utmost importance, what we're doing is truly honoring God. In Psalm 33, verse 8, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord and let all the people of the world revere him. Why is that verse important? Because this is how you honor God. You honor God daily through worship by fearing the Lord. This is how you truly honor God is you first have to start fearing God. And what I'm saying, I'm not saying being afraid of him. I'm talking about reverencing him. I'm talking about keeping him in reverence, keeping him in the, in the most important place in your life. But here's the thing. If you go back into scripture and you read about Abraham and Isaac, you know the story about Abraham and Isaac. Although everyone talks about the fact that Abraham obeyed the Lord. He was obedient in taking his son to sacrifice him on the altar. But when the angel stopped him from actually sacrificing, going through with that, that sacrifice, he said, now I know you fear God. That moment wasn't only about obedience. It was about fearing the Lord. It was about making him the most important thing in your life and reverencing him and understanding this. He's holy, church. He's holy. We honor God not only through fearing him, we honor him through obedience to his word. We want to make sure that we're obeying and walking in his word because obedience is so much better than sacrifice. It's so much bigger. Obeying God and obeying his word and learning to do this, applying his word to our lives, not trying to fit the word into our life, but literally taking the word and putting it to his word, taking our life and putting it to his word. Many times we want to try to fit God into our belief system. When we read the word of God, we need to make that the most important thing and actually apply our life to this thing. That's how we show honor. That's how we show honor to God. And we honor him through humility. God's word says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the who? Humble, those who are walking in humility. And submitting to his will and his way. Humility should always be our posture in life. 
It should always be our posture. Proverbs 29 verse 23 says, pride ends in humiliation, but humility brings honor. Amen? What are some other ways that we bring God pleasure? Not just only through honor, but we do it through thanksgiving, thankfulness. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will choose this day to walk in thanksgiving and make sure that what I do brings glory and honor to God through being a thankful person, having a heart that is pumping. I'm thankful for that. Having a life that is, thankfully, everyone in the room has clothes on. You've got clothes on your back. Thank God for that, right? I'm thankful. I I can find things to be thankful for. Not only that he died on the cross for my sins and rescued me, but there's so many things in my life I can choose to be thankful for. That's how we bring him pleasure. Psalm 50 verse 23 says, but giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. The other thing we do is we bring God pleasure through our relationship with him, our love relationship. Knowing that relationships take time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes, I can read his word. I can make sure that I'm, I'm studying his word. But I'm telling you, in order to bring him pleasure, it's choosing daily to have a relationship with him. You know, relationships have, are, have movement. How many know what I'm talking about? If you're married in the room, you understand there's ups and there's downs. The same thing with God. I mean, there's times in my life I'm, I'm like, God, man, I am so close to God. And then the next day, where is he? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And those are moments in relationship that I I come back to him. And what happens also in in the relationship with the Lord is that he starts to point out things in your life that you need to deal with. None of us really want, want that. We don't like that. But he starts to convict us of sin, right? He starts to point out things in our life that says, hey, you need to deal with this thing. You need to, you need to, to work on this part of your life. That's a part of this relationship that we have with God because every day I'm seeking him to, to, and I'm wanting him to show me how I can be closer. I'm wanting him to show me how I can be more like him. That's what this love relationship is all about. Choosing. Choosing to go after God. Choosing to go after him and letting him deal with those things in my life that might feel a little uncomfortable. But see, this is where worship is not based on what you like. Worship is based on who you love. Worship's not based on what you like, church. It's all about who we pursue and who we love in our relationship. Christians have often felt that worship has to suit their taste. Many times churches have been built on people's preferences in worship and their style. We want to choose how we're going to do this, how we're going to worship, because we've made worship self-centered and not God-centered. We lobby for what we want, what we desire, what songs we like, and what the volume should be in the house, and, and all these type of things. And we're worshiping worship instead of worshiping God. We're wanting everything to be about us, making it comfortable for us. And and now it's turned into, I'm just going to worship the worship rather than worship the one who gives us life. Worship is not a musical experience. Worship is my response to God. Many times we think, well, worship is all about the musical side of things. No, it's, it's how I respond to God. How I respond to his word is my worship. 
And what I love about this in verse 7, when the Samaritan woman comes to Jesus, he says, she came to draw water. And she, he said, will you give me a drink? She came to this well. And there's this man who is sitting there who is a Jew, which is a whole nother story. And I won't get into all that, but that is, they did not associate with each other. And here's Jesus, and he asked her, will you give me a drink? You know, people would come to the well in the city or town not only to quench their own thirst, but they would draw from the well to supply for their household. They would go get the, the water to actually bring a supply to their home. You see, a well was a symbol of a place of life-giving, a new beginnings, is a gathering place socially for the community. The well was a centralized location where people would meet together in the community because the well represented life for their community and for themselves. You see, the woman came to draw water from this well. She was thirsty, and she was looking to quench her thirst, and she was looking to bring a supply to her household, and she was looking to draw hope from this well. She was looking to draw joy from this well. She was looking to draw peace from this well, and this was the place where the ancestors had worshipped. She thought this would be the place that she could find hope, and then there's this man sitting there saying, wait a minute, will you give me a drink? How many times do we come to draw from the well in hopes to quench our thirst? We come hoping for a supply from this well, a prophetic word, or maybe a, a worship service that just really meets my, my need. And Jesus says, will you give me a drink? How many times do we come seeking God and we find out he's actually the one seeking us? You see, Jesus was on his way from Jerusalem or Judea to Galilee. And it says that he had to go through Samaria. The truth is, for centuries, Jewish people went around Samaria. They had blazed trails around Samaria because they did not want to associate with Samaritans. And that was the, the ritualistic thing to do is to go around Samaria. We're not going to associate with those people. But in the beginning of this story, he said, I must go through Samaria because, listen, he's coming after her. And why did he ask her for a drink? Why? Because what he did is that, that question was a, had a purpose to it. The question was to expose or to show her that she had need. She had need of a Savior. She had need of living water. She had a need. He did it. And see, we come to church, we come to our, our daily life of worship, and we, we go to the Lord, and he's asking us, will you give me a drink? And what he's doing is he's asking you, will you open your heart so I, I can get in and deal with the things in your life so that you can give me everything you have? Yet a time is coming when worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, church, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now we've heard that term our whole life. If you've been in the church, you've heard worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth. So what does that truly mean? Well, true being something truthful or something that is true is authentic. It's real. It's genuine. It's absolute. If it's true, it's absolute. There's no, there's no question of whether or not it's true or not. 
because it's the real thing. And spirit, the human spirit is the innermost being of a human person. And it's what connects ourselves to the supernatural God. It's, who, it's what connects us to God. That's the spirit of man. So this is what happens when we truly worship God. Hear me. When we truly worship God and we worship him in spirit and in truth, what's happening is our human spirit is coming to agreement with the truth of God's word. And when we do that, we see true worship. When I choose out of my spirit to apply the truth of God's word to my life and the truth of who he is, then I start to worship him in spirit and in truth. And things start to shift and change. Things start to change. The atmosphere starts to shift. Things start to look differently. And what it does, it not only affects our spirit, but it affects our physical environment. It affects our atmosphere. It affects us around, people around us. When we truly get our spirit in tune with the truth of who God is and the truth of his word, we start to worship him in spirit and in truth. And what was seen to be natural around us, there's supernatural things that start taking place. You start to see healing. You start to see deliverance. How many know what I'm talking about in your own family? When you start to worship God out of your heart and you truly come into agreement with the truth and the absolute truth of his word, that's where true worship starts to come forth. And you start to see things supernaturally start to shift around you and change. So I'm going to give you a little illustration this morning. A lot of you are familiar. I'm going to grab this. These chains. People were making fun of me this morning. I brought these in. They thought I was Jacob Marley. Anyway. So in Acts chapter 16, you guys are all familiar with this passage of Scripture. Paul and Silas, right? Paul and Silas were thrown into this Philippian jail. They were doing the work of the ministry. They were delivering the gospel. And they had cast out this demon or this devil and the community actually got fired up about it, said they were sowing discord in the community. And so Paul and Silas got thrown into this Philippian jail. Before they were thrown into the jail, what happened was they were flogged and beaten. They were torn, torn up, beaten, and then thrown in. When I say a prison, I'm not talking about American prison. We're talking about a dungeon of a prison in the belly of, of this, this building down in the depths in the basement. And it was not a good environment to be in. And it said they were shackled. They were tied down in the prison. And so many of us, you know, they, they were dealing with these chains in their life. They were dealing with prison, being in prison for the sake of the gospel. A lot of us walk in the church Many Sundays, and this is, we're carrying the same type of chains, same type of burdens in our life. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's things in our life that, that are just heavy and weighted down and keeps us bound. What I love about the story of Paul and Silas, what could have been their worst, maybe discouraging moment of their life, because they were out doing what God had told them to do, but then they got thrown into this prison and beaten. But what could have been the most discouraging part of their life, they chose to look at it differently. They chose to sing hymns to the Lord. They chose to 
come into agreement. This is where the true worship starts to happen, church. They came into agreement with the word of God because they realized their cause was greater than their condition. I'm going to say that again. They realized the cause of Christ was greater than their conditions. And so they started to sing. They started to declare who God was. And they started to sing, to worship you, I live. (laughs) To worship you, I live, I live to worship you. (laughs) They begin to declare over and over again, to worship you, I live. This is why, to worship you, I live, I live to worship you. And all of a sudden, in the room, what I love about the story, if you go back and read this, it says the foundations of the prison begin to shake. It wasn't the prison doors. It said the foundations. You see, when you came into agreement with the truth of God's word and you said, you know what? The cause of Christ is so much greater than where I'm at. It's so much greater than my condition. And it said the foundations of the prison started to shake. What that tells me this, it tells me this, is the foundation says what roots hold me captive are being shaken. It may be generational curses. When you start to come into true worship, you start to sing God's word and you start to believe it. The foundations of what holds you captive start to shake. Start to move, start to tremble. And, the, and it's not just the foundations, church. It's things around you start to shake. Because now the doors are opening up. Freedom is setting in. It's not just on the surface, it's in the depths. It's not just on the surface, it's in the root system. Everything starts to move. Everything starts to shake. Everything starts to setting free. And guess what else happens? Salvation comes. Not just freedom from prison. What else happened in the room? The prisoner the prisoners got saved. The, 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 the jail cell holder, the guy who was, the, 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 the soldier was, that was standing with them at the prison was brought to salvation. Because when you come into agreement and you actually start to truly worship God, what happens is your atmosphere shifts. It's not about the conditions you're in anymore. It's it's supernatural, church. You start to join with heaven and realize who you are. And the things that are holding you captive, church, God says, I'm going to set you free because you chose to truly worship me. And the cause was greater than your condition. Reclaiming true worship. I'm going to give you real quick a few points on what it is to reclaim this true worship I'm talking about. First of all, you have to live by the truth. You have to live by the truth. In our life today, we have a tendency to sometimes compromise truth, the truth of God's word. We try to please man rather than pleasing God. Scripture tells us that there will come a day when men and women will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
But see, living by the truth requires you to be honest with yourself. A lot of us don't want to do that because it starts to show us things that we've got to deal with. I don't want to be honest with myself. But if we want to truly worship God, we have to choose to be honest with ourselves. It causes you to search deep within your heart to see what is your offering. Is it real? Is what I'm giving God real and honest? Is our worship a mass that we just put on on our daily life and just take it off at our own pleasure rather than truly giving God our best? I mentioned this passage earlier. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me is what Jesus told the Pharisees. I don't want to be that way. I want my heart to be in tune with my lips. I want to be able to be able to sing and declare and live this worship. So I My question is, where's your heart today? Is it in line with the truth of God's word? It's not easy to worship in truth. By worshiping in truth, you're exposing your heart. You're making yourself vulnerable. And you're asking the Lord to examine it, shine a light on the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. But if we want to truly worship God, we have to live by this truth that his word tells us to live by. And sometimes it hurts and especially hurts the flesh but it gives your spirit strength to be an overcomer. So let's live by the truth. John 16 verse 13 says, but when we, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth, which leads me to my second point. Live led by the spirit, not only live by the truth, but you have to be led by the spirit and live that way. Transformed people who are led by the Spirit transform a culture. Transformed people who are led by the Spirit transform a culture. Transforms those things around you. Romans 8 verse 5 says this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Remember I said it's about we're created for his pleasure. How are we going to please God? We have to be led by the spirit and start allowing the spirit to live through us and not for us living by ourselves and for ourselves. You are, however, not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Remember, you will always reflect the nature of the one you are most consumed with. You will always reflect the nature of the one you're most consumed with. If you're consumed with the world, you're going to reflect that. If you're consumed with the spirit of God and his holiness, guess what? You're going to reflect that. In order to be spirit-led, we have to submit to his way because his ways are higher than our ways. I can only see in part. I'll look through a glass dimly. In other words, we have to take our reasoning sometimes out of things. If we're going to be led by the spirit, you can't reason. You got to trust. <laughs> you can't reason your way into things. You got to trust that God's going to take full control. The third thing is that we have to live a life of purity, church. We live a life of truth, live a life led by the Spirit. We have to live a life of purity. 
Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Because here's the thing, church, about purity. If the source is polluted, so are your motives and your actions. If your heart's polluted, so are your motives and your actions. The things that you do, your worship is polluted. Your life is polluted. You see, heart represents motive. If I have a heart for something, I have a motive, right? That's what that represents. And if this is corrupt, everything that comes from it is corrupt. So that's why it's so important to guard your hearts. How do we do that? We guard our heart by guarding our gates. I'm going to say that. What is a gate? You have an eye gate to the soul. You have an ear gate. You have a gate from your mouth. What comes? That's why he says no perverse talk. No corrupt talk come from you either. Purity, church. Purity, purity, purity. Guard your gates. What you see. What, what television, what, what shows you watch, guard that. Guard your ears, what, what you surround yourself with, the people you surround yourself with, the, the voices that are, are speaking in your life. Guard those things. If you want to stay pure before God, you got to guard your gates, church. Make sure that it's not polluted. The next thing is live courageously. If you want to see true worship restored in your life. You got to not only live truthfully, pure, but you need to live, live courageously with full of courage. Psalm 31, 24 says, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. You won't be strengthening your heart. If I'm of good courage, it says he will strengthen my heart and I will have hope in the Lord. It takes a lot of courage to go against the crowd. And around you right now, there's so many other things that are talking louder than we are. And it's time to silence those things that are around you and choose to walk the truth of God's word out and live this worship. Live it out. There's pressure all around us to compromise the truth and to compromise our standards. But when the rubber meets the road, this is where true worship is defined. Are you getting to let God's word be your standard no matter the cost, no matter the cost, are we going to choose to take the easy road and just roll with it? The last thing is this. In order to reclaim true worship, we need to know what it is to leave a legacy. Now, a lot of times, and this sounds kind of different, but what I'm trying to say is that leaving a legacy is not just what you leave behind after you're gone. It's what you can leave right now. The legacy is about now just as much as it is about later. What are you giving those around you? What are you choosing to do with what God has given you? How are you choosing to worship? How are you choosing to live your life around those that God has put in your sphere of influence? You see, church, we have a testimony. God has saved us. He's rescued us. 
Are we sharing that testimony with others around us? We need to be testifying. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's important for us to understand that if we want to truly leave a legacy for God through our life, we have to take those opportune moments and begin to testify of God's goodness and his faithfulness. This is what I want people to say about me is Galatians 2.20. He was crucified by Christ. I want people to see that in me. I want the legacy to be known that Brian, he was crucified with Christ. It was no longer he that lived, but it was Christ who lived through him. That's the legacy I want. And I pray that's the legacy that you want. Is that the legacy we leave is all about Jesus. It's not about us. Worship is not about you. Our testimony should be about him. Yeah, God did great things in our lives, and I want to testify of it, but I want to testify of what God did. I want him to get the glory, not me. May your heart be in the right posture of humility as you testify of his goodness and his faithfulness. And may we all reclaim what true worship is about, and that's about him, and come into agreement with what he's already said. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we've had to be together today. But Lord, I just pray that in this room today, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, God, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, I pray this is the day of salvation for them. I pray that they choose, Lord God, choose you as the Lord and Savior of their life. They wouldn't walk out of here the same. They would choose to surrender to your Lordship and make you the Lord of their life. God, I pray that if there's people in the room today, God, that they say, yeah, I've drifted from what true worship is about. I've not really been honest with myself. I've not been honest in my worship. It's been about me. It's been about what I can get rather than what I can give. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that those in the room today, they would be encouraged that this is a new day, that you've come to establish new beginnings and new life. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would awaken their soul to true worship. In the name of Jesus, may we reclaim what true worship is about. And it's about our spirit coming into agreement with the truth of who you are and your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand to your feet?